0: We are, like Pastor Chris Lynn said, finishing the book of Jeremiah. It's been nine weeks long, but I trust that it's been encouraging to you. The book of Jeremiah still speaks to us today, doesn't it? And God certainly does what he said he would do. And the path of obedience leads to life. And the path of disobedience does lead to destruction. And so this morning, we're focusing on the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Our scripture comes from Jeremiah 52, verses 1 to 16, also 24 to 30. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. This is the last chapter, Jeremiah And uh, we have a lot of great things in store as we move into September. Of course, next week, we begin two services here at WPA 9 and 11. So that's very exciting for us to have more opportunities for us to gather in person. Uh, But we have a new sermon series beginning next week. We have communion next Sunday. Lots of exciting things. So stay tuned, be a part, RSVP on time. And uh, we look forward to participating uh, together. Jeremiah 52, starting at verse 1. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name was uh, Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libna. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as Jehoiakim had done. It was because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah, and in the end, he thrust them from his presence." Now Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. They encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through, and the whole army fled. They left the city at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled towards the Arabah. But the Babylonian army pursued King Zedekiah and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he pronounced sentence on him. And there at Riblah, the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. He also killed all the officials of Judah. Then he put out Zedekiah's eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon, where he put him in prison till the day of his death. On the tenth day of the fifth month, in the nineteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, commander of the imperial guard, who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down all the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard, carried into exile some of the poorest people and those who remained in the city, along with the rest of the craftsmen and those who had deserted the king of Babylon. But Nebuchadnezzar left behind the rest of the poorest people of the land to work the vineyards in the fields. Moving down to verse 24. The commander of the guard took as prisoners Saraiah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the priest next in rank, and the three doorkeepers. Of those still in the city, he took the officer in charge of the fighting men and seven royal advisors. He also took the secretary who was the chief officer in charge of conscripting the people of the land, 60 of whom were found in the city. Nebuzaradan, and the commander took them all and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And there Ribla, in the Ribla, in the land of Hamath, the king had executed them. So Judah went into captivity, away from her land. This is the number of people Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile. In the seventh year, 3023 Jews. in Nebuchadnezzar's 18th year, 832 people from Jerusalem. In his 23rd year, 745 Jews taken into exile by Nebuchadnezzar, the commander of the imperial guard. There were 4,600 people in all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning as we conclude the book of Jeremiah. We find this to be such a challenging book with so many parallels to our life today. Father, I pray that you teach us from your word and illuminate the scripture to people today But because they've come to hear a word from you. They've not come to hear from a man. They've not come to hear just a nice sermon. They've come to hear the word of the living God. And so, Father, would you speak your word? I humble myself before you, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let your word go forth with boldness and with conviction. Let it stir our hearts to obedience and application today. Father, we thank you for the life of Jeremiah, a man who endured rejection, a man who stood in the gap for his people, a man who spoke the word of the Lord in season and even out of season. I pray that you give us the persistence of this prophet in these days and in these hours, oh God. The world needs to know the truth. There's so many various truths all around us. Everybody has their own truth, but there is one truth, and that's the truth of God's word. So speak to our hearts today. Give us discernment in our hearts, Lord, that we can decipher what is the truth and what is not the truth. So Lord, I pray that you speak to us from chapter 52 today. We open up our hearts to you as we've done in worship. Now open our eyes, open our ears that we may see and hear and understand what your spirit is saying to us today as the church. We ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. The year 586 BCE was a year to remember. It was the year that God fulfilled his word through the prophet Jeremiah and the city of Jerusalem had fallen to the Babylonians. And this event is recorded not in one, but in several places in our Bible. It is found first in Jeremiah 39 in a narrative that includes Jeremiah as part of the story. It is found again in Jeremiah 52 in a narrative that actually omits Jeremiah from the story. Then the narrative in 2 Kings 25 is similar to the narrative that we find in Jeremiah 52. Again, excluding Jeremiah. And the narrative in 2 Chronicles 36 is completely different from the others. And it also excludes Jeremiah from the story. But Jeremiah was there. He was present. He was involved. Where was Jeremiah in the midst of all these things that were happening? Well, we look into scripture to tell us where exactly he is. In Jeremiah 40 verses one to five, Nebuchadnezzar the commander of the Babylonian army was gracious and granted freedom to Jeremiah the prophet. The scripture says he had found Jeremiah bound in chains among all the captives from Jerusalem and Judah who were being carried into exile to Babylon. When the commander of the guard found Jeremiah, he said to him, the Lord your God decreed this disaster for this place. And now the Lord has brought it about. He has done just as he said he would. All this happened because your people sinned against the Lord and did not obey him. And today I am freeing you from the chains on your wrist. Come with me to Babylon if you like, and I will look after you. But if you don't want to, then don't come. Look, the whole country lies before you. Go wherever you please. However, before Jeremiah turned to go, Nebuzaradan added, go back to Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, the son of Saphon, whom the king of Babylon has appointed over the towns of Judah, and live with him among the people, or go anywhere else you please. Jeremiah, he could have gone to Babylon. That would have been the safest thing for him, the place where God had selected for his people to be even in the midst of exile. But his prophetic ministry was not over. His prophetic ministry was not finished. So he returned back to Judah but this is not where he would stay permanently. In Jeremiah 43, verses 4 to 7, after Gedaliah's assassination, the man who was supposed to protect him, Johanan, son of Cariah, and all the army officers and all the people disobeyed the Lord's command to stay in the land of Judah. Instead, Johanan, son of Cariah, and all the army officers led away all the remnant of Judah who had come back to live in the land of Judah from all the nations where they had been scattered. And they all... Also led away all those who Nebuzaradan, and commander of the imperial guard had left with Gedaliah, son of Ahakim, and the son of Saphan, the men, the women, the children, the king's daughters, and they took Jeremiah the prophet and Baruch, son of Neriah, along with them. And so they entered into Egypt in disobedience to the Lord and went as far as Tephanes. The remaining people of Judah thought Egypt would be a safe place, a refuge for them and that Pharaoh would support them in that battle against the Babylonians but God would give Egypt into the hands of Babylon too. Jeremiah and Baruch, his sidekick, had been forcefully taken to Egypt with all the disobedient people of Judah and only a small portion of the people were left in the land of Judah, remaining in Judah to tend the land, to tend the vineyards. Jeremiah 51, verse 64, we find a summary statement. And the words of Jeremiah end here. This is where Jeremiah's voice comes to silence now. That might be true. The words of Jeremiah do end, but the book of Jeremiah still has one more chapter. Who wrote chapter 52? It was likely Baruch who confirmed what Jeremiah had prophesied and wrote what Jeremiah dictated in Jeremiah 39 and elsewhere. So as we end the book of Jeremiah, what is the final lesson that I want to leave with you today? Here's the lesson. We learn through chapter 52 how the mighty and the proud and the rebellious have fallen. But we also see a glimmer of hope when all seems lost. Our hope is in the Lord. A God who restores his people to the land. This morning I want to show you how God allows kings and kingdoms to rise and to fall. But only God can rebuild because he holds our future in his hands. Amen. First point this morning is that the kings have fallen. The kings have fallen. We see this in Jeremiah 52, verses 1 to 3 and 7b to 11. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. And his mother's name was Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libna. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as Jehoiakim had done. It was because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah. And in the end, he thrust them from his presence. Now Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And moving down to verse 7, the second half. They left the city at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden. Though the Babylonians were surrounding the city, they fled towards the Arabah. But the Babylonian army pursued King Zedekiah and overtook him in the plains of Jericho and all his soldiers were separated from him and scattered and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath where he pronounced sentence on him. And there at Riblah, the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. He also killed all the officials of Judah. Then he put out Zedekiah's eyes, bond him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon where he put him in prison till the day of his death. So while the fall of Jerusalem was the cumulative result of the departure of many kings and sequential kings of Judah from the Lord, the final responsibility weighed heavily upon the failure of the last king of Judah named Zedekiah. Zedekiah not only did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but he did much more than that. And we can find out by cross-referencing some other scriptures. In 2 Chronicles 36, verses 12 to 13, the historian added that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God. He did not humble Himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke the word of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him take an oath in God's name. He became stiff necked and hardened his heart, and he would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. His fate was sealed. He would suffer the consequences. After being captured, Zedekiah watched his own sons. He watched the princes of Judah killed before his very own eyes. Just think about that, a father's heart for his children. They were to be the future rulers of Jerusalem. All of them were dead and gone. And he saw his court officials who had served alongside of him faithfully killed before his eyes. And then he lost his very own eyes and he became a prisoner of war. Zedekiah reminds us of Samson. In Judges 16, verse 21, the scripture says, Then the Philistines seized Samson, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. See, this was the ultimate sign of disgrace and defeat. The one who who was once mighty is now weak. The one who was once great is now the least. The one who was once free is now bound in chains. What a great reversal. What is interesting is that Zedekiah was not put to death but would spend the rest of his life in prison. You see, God is very explicit about how he will treat the proud in the book of Proverbs. And he tells us many proverbial or wise sayings. In Proverbs 8.13, we read, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. In Proverbs eleven two, 2, we read, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, and with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16, verse 5, we read, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16, 18 to 19, we read, pride goes before destruction a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share the plunder with the proud. Zedekiah's tragic flaw was his pride. I wanna challenge you this morning in the area of your potential pride. You need to look inside yourself. You need to introspect this morning and evaluate where your pride level is today, my friends. Because the pride of life is more rampant than you think. You must destroy pride before it destroys you. I need to say some hard things to you this morning because they're coming out of God's Word. Here it is I'm sorry, but you're not the best. You do not know everything, and the whole universe does not revolve around you. Remember that pride. Pride is the trademark of Satan. Remember that Satan was once an angel that had fallen from heaven to earth, to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. We repeat that very mistake of Satan every time we choose pride over humility. So friends, today, today is the hour, today is the moment to humble yourself before God and before each other. Don't come into God's presence with a prideful heart. Bow yourself before him in reverence. Just as we did in worship today, he's the king and we are just humans. Who are we that he's mindful of us? And then he calls us friends. The God we serve requires our humility today, not our pride. Second this morning is that kingdoms have fallen. You see, there are not one, but there are two kingdoms that have fallen in scripture. The first is within the scripture that is within our view today. The kingdom of Judah, which is centralized in the city of Jerusalem. But the second was of prophetic nature. It was a prophecy concerning the kingdom of Babylon. Let's look at the first one. Jerusalem has fallen. We find this in Jeremiah 52, verses 4 to 7 and 12 to 14. Scripture says, so in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole whole army, and they encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through and the whole army fled. Moving down to verse 12, on the 10th day of the fifth month in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard who served the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and he set on fire, He set to fire the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. And the whole Babylonian army, under the commander of the imperial guard, broke down all the walls around Jerusalem. Jerusalem has fallen. For two years, the city of Jerusalem was under siege. Famine threatened the survival of all that remained within the protection and the confines of the city walls. But once the city walls were broken through, all the people could do was flee. The destruction of the city of Jerusalem is poetically captured in the book of Lamentations, which is also credited to Jeremiah as his words. In Lamentations 2, 5 to 17, Jeremiah, he recognized that God took responsibility for all of this. Listen to the scripture. And we rarely read from the book of Lamentations, but we should read from Lamentations when we're reading the book of uh, Jeremiah. It goes so well and pairs so well together. In verse five, it says, the Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces and destroyed her strongholds. He has multiplied mourning and lamentation for daughter Judah. He has laid waste his dwelling like a garden. He has destroyed his place of meeting. The Lord has made Zion forget her appointed festivals and her Sabbaths. In his fierce anger, he has spurned both king and priest. The Lord has rejected his altar, abandoned his sanctuary. He has given the walls of her palaces into the hands of the enemy. And they have raised a shout in the house of the Lord as on the day of the appointed festival. The Lord determined to tear down the wall around daughter Zion. He stretched out a measuring line and did not withhold his hand from destroying. He made ramparts and walls lament. Together they wasted away. Her gates have sunk into the ground. Their bars have been, has, he has broken and destroyed. Her king and her princes are exiled among the nations. The law is no more and her prophets no longer find visions from the Lord. The elders of daughters sit on the ground in silence. They have sprinkled dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed. Because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like the wounded in the city of, streets of the city, as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms. What can I say to you? With what can I compare you, daughter Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, virgin daughter Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were false and misleading. And all who passed your way clapped their hands at you. They scoff and shake their heads at daughter Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? All your enemies open their mouths wide against you. They scoff and gnash their teeth and say, we have swallowed her up. This is the day we have waited for. We have lived to see it. The Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. He has overthrown you without pity. He has let the enemy gloat over you. He has exalted the horn of your foes. As we read the scripture, we can't help but feel saddened. And think to ourselves that God maybe is too mean, too cruel, but this is not true. The wrath of God against the city of Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem, was not evil. It was the righteous wrath of God. It is what only a holy God could do. And he was gracious for so many years, and he gave them ways of escape during the reigns of so many kings. But there is a limit to the patience of God the city that had sinned and rebelled cannot be rewarded. And once the city was successfully overtaken, the temple of the Lord, the dwelling of place of God among his people was burned down. Certainly God had already abandoned his sanctuary. The royal palace and every house in Jerusalem was burned to a crisp. Every standing wall was broken down into rubble. And Jerusalem was the city that God had given to King David. And what had happened In 1 Chronicles 11, 4 to 5, we read, David and all the Israelites marched to Jerusalem. That is Jebus. The Jebusites who lived there said to David, you will not get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. This city that belongs to the Lord is now vacated. It was the capital of a united monarchy, but we see that what once was united under God was divided from each other and from God and he was eventually destroyed by God. Secondly, we see that Babylon has fallen. We see this in Jeremiah, uh, verses 59 to 64. This is the message Jeremiah the prophet gave to the staff officer, Saraiah, son of Nariah, the son of Mehesiah. When he went to Babylon with Zedekiah king of Judah in the fourth year of his reign. Jeremiah had written on a scroll about all the disasters that would come upon Babylon. All that had been recorded concerning Babylon. And he said to Saraiah, when you get to Babylon, see that you read all these words aloud. Then say, Lord, you have said you will destroy this place so that neither people nor animals will live in it. It will be desolate forever. And when you finish reading the scroll, tie a stone to it, throw it in the Euphrates... Then say, so will Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster I will bring on her and her people will fail. You need to know that Jerusalem did not fall in hopelessness. It fell in hope. The prophet Jeremiah was given the word of the Lord prophesying that Babylon would fall. And Jeremiah's ministry had finished and he would never make it to Babylon himself. He decided to stay with the people of Judah wherever they went. And the hope was that after seeing Jeremiah's words and hearing Jeremiah's words about the fall of Jerusalem coming to pass, these exiles in Babylon would be more inclined to believe Jeremiah's words about the coming fall of Babylon, where they were. See, Jeremiah's last words in his book, they provide instructions to Saraiah to read the prophetic disasters that he dictated and Baruch recorded aloud to the survivors. See, Jerusalem might be desolate, but not forever. However, Babylon would be desolate forever, even to this day. And the book of Jeremiah teaches us that though very few may believe in God, God is a God who always keeps his promises, amen? You see, if God has said something, he will certainly do it. He's not a man that he should lie. With one final illustration, Jeremiah He asked Zariah to tie a stone to the scroll. Will it sink or will it float? Just as the scroll would sink to the bottom of the Euphrates River, so too Babylon would sink and would never rise again. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Last point this morning: God will rebuild. God will rebuild. We find this promise in Jeremiah 52, verses 31 to 34. I know we're traversing a lot of scripture here, but it's the only way I can give you the full picture of the ending. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the year of Owl-Murdoch became that the year Owl became king of Babylon, on the 25th day of the 12th month, He released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and freed him from prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of honor higher than those of the other kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put aside his prison clothes and the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king of Babylon gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived till the day of his death. So the promise of God was that time would heal things, that time would need to pass in order for God to rebuild his people. And as King Solomon once said in Ecclesiastes 3, 2, chapter 3, verses two to eight, there is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. Even Jeremiah uses that language himself a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. There's a time for everything. This means that nothing lasts forever on earth. Leaders come and go. Situations may change. Discipline is only for a season of our lives. At a later time, the prophet Daniel Daniel chapter 2, 21, he declared, he, that is God, changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. This is God's doing. For one season, Nebuchadnezzar was used of God as a tool in his hands to discipline sinful Judah. But for this next season, Awel Murdoch was used of God to rekindle hope for Judah. King Zedekiah's predecessor, this one named King Jehoiachin, who was still alive, had been taken to Babylon in Jeremiah 29. He also was a prisoner of war. And though he originally did evil in the eyes of the Lord, something changed in him while he was in Babylon. We don't know what for sure took place. Perhaps it was the fulfillment of Jeremiah's own words in a vision of the two baskets of figs in Jeremiah 29. In that vision, in verses four to seven, we read, then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. And they will be my people and I will be their God for they will return to me with all their heart. The people in Babylon, the remnant of Judah, are God's people. Those who went to Babylon earlier would remain safe They would be that remnant that would return back to Jerusalem. And look at how the Lord raised up this man, Jehoiachin, up from the prison walls. And he placed him into the palace at the table. Jehoiachin was spoken to kindly. Jehoiachin was given a seat of highest honor. Jehoiachin ate at the king's table. Jehoiachin was given a regular allowance. Nothing but the favor of God. This is all in contrast to the way King Zedekiah was treated. While the monarchy of Israel and Judah would never be restored ever again, God redeemed the second last king of Judah to serve as a living testimony that God could restore his people, that God could rebuild his city. While the idea of an exile to us sounds horrible, exile was a merciful and gracious act of God. It served a purpose. And when you and I, we embrace God's seasons of discipline in our lives, we are preparing ourselves for the outpouring of God's season of blessing. God wants to bless his people. God's desire is not to hurt his people. His desire is obedience from us. And if we obey him, he will certainly bless us. But if we disobey him, we will have to endure his discipline. In the years to come, A new season would emerge, and there would be three waves of exiles from Babylon that returned to Jerusalem, and their stories are captured for us. Their stories are captured in the book of Ezra, and Nehemiah, and Haggai, and Zechariah. And if you rebelled against God in the past today, I want to encourage you to be like Jehoiachin, who had a change of heart while he was living in exile. So as we conclude today, the book of Jeremiah as the worship team comes. I wanna remind you that the major prophets and the minor prophets are books that we need to read. Some of us, we avoid them like the plague. We don't wanna read about the destruction. We don't wanna read things that we don't fully understand but we need to, like drip coffee, we need to meditate on God's word and allow it to sink into our hearts and our minds. The book of Jeremiah is a relevant narrative that we need to hear today. In a few weeks, you and I, we will participate in another Canadian election. Canada is a country that was founded on Christian principles. You know that from sea to sea to sea that God would have dominion over the land and over the nation. But Canadian leadership has failed. Canada is on the verge of falling apart. And while this is not good news, we do not need to be afraid. I tell you that this morning, you need to put your faith and your trust in God. We serve a God who can rebuild not only our lives, not only who can rebuild our church, but who can rebuild this nation. See, friends, kings and kingdoms will all pass away. That is part of life. But those who build their life on the principles and the foundations of God's word will remain. So in whom are you placing your hope and your trust today? Is it in the same God who brought his people back from exile, from Babylon, back to Jerusalem? Is it in the same God who restored Jerusalem and its walls and rebuilt it? from bottom up. See, as we bring this series on Jeremiah to a close, let me paraphrase one scripture to you today. Psalm 20, verse seven. In light of the context that you and I are living in, in a polarized world, in a highly opinionated world, in a world where everybody has their own truth, not knowing who to trust and who, who can be relied on, The scripture says, and I paraphrase, some trust in kings and queens and prime ministers and presidents and some in monarchies and democracies and dictatorships and oligarchies. But we trust in the name of our Lord God. We trust in the name of our Lord God. Who do you trust in today? Would you stand with me? Father, today we declare that we trust in you, that there's no God like King Jesus. And we choose to surrender to your leadership. We choose to allow you to lead us in the future. We commit Canada into your hands. We commit the nations of this world into your hands. God, would you be sovereign on this earth? The earth is yours. You reign, you rule. Everything belongs to you, Jesus, today. Who is the king of glory? the Lord God mighty in battle. So Jesus, we turn it all over to you. We do not know what the future holds, but we know who holds our future. Our lives are hidden in you. We rest assured that our God is still in control. We do not need to be afraid. We do not need to be terrified because the Lord our God is with us and for us and not against us. So, Father, in the days to come, we pray for Canada. We pray for the leader that you will install in this nation. Father, we pray that righteousness would reign. We pray that justice would rule. We pray that, Lord, principles, godly principles, would be restored back to this nation, to its foundations, oh God. Father, we pray for our church today. We pray that we would not be divided like the people of Judah and Israel choosing to go to different places and doing different things, Lord. We won't go to Egypt on our own thinking it's safer that way. We'll go where you tell us to go. We'll do what you tell us to do. We want to be obedient to your word today. Thank you, God, for the way you've challenged us through the book of Jeremiah. Teach us, Lord, how to persevere in these days and in these hours, in these times because it's not easy. It's difficult to know what the truth is. But we know that you will lead us into your truth. We allow the word of God to be the direction to set the course for our lives. So lead us, God, in the days to come. Build your church, oh God. Rebuild us, God, to who you want us to be, Lord. Sometimes, Lord, you will deconstruct things so that you can rebuild it back up to the way it should be. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to the rebuilding process. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our church. And we thank you now in advance for what you're going to do in this nation. We Commit it all to you, sovereign God. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. Would you just declare that today? That Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no one like him in all the earth. He is the King of glory. No one compares to him today. We ascribe to you, God, the glory and the honor and the praise that is due your name. We worship you, King. You're the Lord of the church, the head of the church. We are your body. We choose to align ourselves to you have your way in this place in our lives in Jesus name we pray everyone set amen pastor Phil would you lead us